The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Let's all pray. God, we come before you asking to... um, Prepare us as we receive your word. Father, we thank you that you chose people to write, to put your words into writing so that all of us here in this age can see what you've done to understand who you are more. God, open our hearts today as we try to understand and see what you're trying to tell us through Randall, Lord. Use him, and may you um, speak through him, Lord. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, eh? Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? All right. Well, we are going to be jumping into uh, the book of Titus again. We've been walking through this from the beginning uh, of the year for the most part, and we've been talking about this idea of being crafted, crafted by God um, through the church. And so we've been talking about like, what is the church? Why do we need the church? And so we've been studying this book of Titus. Um, and uh, before I jump into that, I, I just want to say, you know, yesterday was, was really exciting because we were able to go, a uh, group of us, to go uh, be a part of this conference called Saturate. And uh, so there's a picture of some of us that were there at the conference yesterday. It was exciting. Um, And really the theme of the conference was about uh, the gospel and how it changes our lives and and really transforms us. And uh, one of the things that we uh, were were able to to do and even hear about and talk about was uh, this church plant in Japan. Uh, There's a church in Tokyo, Japan, Grace Harbor Church. And one of the things I talked about from the beginning of the year was that we were going to help partner with them financially uh, to help support them. And so we got to meet the pastor, uh, Pastor Sema. There is Pastor Sema uh, doing great gospel work in Japan. And uh, we were able to talk with him a little bit about that. And, and he said, you know, you, you guys, you, you need to come over to Japan. You, you got to come over and visit. So we we're like, okay. We're going, we're going, we're going to be part, part of this. Uh, but we're just excited about that because here's the thing. As Grace City, uh, we, we talk about that we're not a church for ourselves. We're a church for others. We are here to share the good news of Jesus. And that doesn't mean just in uh, 
San Diego, but throughout the world. And so we get to be a part of that. And so we are excited to uh, help partner with Pastor Sema and the gospel work that's happening in Tokyo. Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me was this. He said that 30,000 um, Japanese will commit suicide in a year. And he said the reason is because they have uh, just a hopelessness. They don't have any purpose. And so it's a very common thing for people to commit suicide there. And so uh, we believe that the power of the gospel can help transform that city. And uh, so we want to partner with our brother over there. Uh, so today, we're going to continue uh, talking through Titus. We're in Titus 1, 10 uh, through 2, 1 is uh, what Alan read for us today. And uh, the message is this, crafted by sound doctrine. Crafted by sound doctrine. Um, Titus 2, 1 says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? The word sound means, it can be also be translated healthy. Healthy doctrine. What's the word doctrine? Doctrine just simply means a set of beliefs, a teaching. And so as we look at scripture, we say, here's what the Bible says. That's why every week we say, okay, we're gonna open up our Bibles, we're gonna read from our Bibles. Don't take it from me. Go to your Bibles, look this stuff up. See, what this is, as we look at healthy doctrine, right, like biblical doctrine, what it leads us to is we glorify God, it's about Him, and it, it, it helps us to live biblically healthy lives, where there's true transformation, where God comes in and makes us different people, right? It's, it's transformation from the inside out. And so... Why does sound doctrine matter? Because Paul warns in today's text that there are counterfeit gospels. There are gospels that are out there, but it's not the true gospel. See, in 1 Corinthians 15, one through three, the apostle Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Why does he need to remind them? Because they had forgotten See, we need to be reminded of the gospel. He says, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. What he's saying here is there is a gospel, the true message of Jesus, that it's not just the ABCs of Christianity that I just come to Jesus because I heard the gospel and I received it, but it's you don't depart from this. It's the A to Z. It's everything. So when we hear the message of Jesus, we don't get away from Jesus. It's not the elementary things when we talk about the cross of Jesus. When we talk about the life of Jesus. When we talk about any of these things, that's not the elementary things. But he's saying that's everything. It's Jesus in everything. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain... For I to deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. See, Paul's talking about something here. He says that of first importance. So there's some like major first importance issues. And then what we find is that there are secondary issues. So one of the things we say is like, there's like close-handed issues. It's like, okay, man is sinful. Close-handed issue. 
that Jesus died for our sins and is the son of God, close-handed issue. Right, that, th- those, are, those are some things. Like secondary issues, like, okay, there are churches that you take communion once a month. Secondary issue. Like we're not gonna fight about some of these things, right? We're not gonna argue and say, oh, you're not Christian because you don't, but, but the, the first importance things, Paul spells them out in 1 Corinthians 15 and they're all about Jesus. It's about who he is, what he's done, Jesus. And so when it comes to healthy gospel proclamation, there's some first importance issues and we have to talk about those. See, Paul wants Christians to understand the true gospel because if they don't, they will easily be deceived. I was 19 years old. I was a camp leader, okay? So we're at this week of camp. It's middle school camp week. And it gets towards the end of the week and there are probably about 100, 150 middle schoolers at this camp. And so it was fun week. And uh, some of the leaders came up to me and they said, hey, Randall, we, we, we need you to do something. So, okay, what do you, what do you need me to do? Said, um, tonight, we're gonna have a, a Jesus coming back party. It's gonna be awesome. Jesus is coming back party. And um, Randall, we want you to be Jesus. Look at me, guys. I, I look like a kid. Like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? You want me to be Jesus? Said, we'll give you the hair. We'll give you all this stuff. And, and what we want you to do is tonight, we're going to wake the kids up. 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. We're going to wake everybody up. We're going to tell them, Jesus is back. They don't know about this. Jesus is back. We're going to get them all up and we're going to bring them outside. And you're going to be standing on the hill. And we'll get you the white robe and we'll get you all that stuff. So we'll get you the white robe. And, and here's what you just need to say. You just need to like quote some scriptures. And, uh, and then that's it. Jesus coming back party. I said, okay, <laughs> what's the point? I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, like, fine, I'll do it. So that night, 12, 30, one o'clock, they do this whole thing. They're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is back, you know. And they got me standing up on the hill and I've got the white robe and they at least gave me like long hair. And they lined it up so that there's like this big bright light behind me. And so they're like, okay, like when the light turns on, that's when you start just speaking scripture and Jesus is back, right? And so, all right. So I go and, and uh, all the kids come out and they're standing there. And I'm like waiting for the light and, and then it pops on. I start quoting some scripture and then the light goes out and then the kids go back to their dorm room. And, um, <laughs> and so the next day, some of the kids were asking, like, I, I was just kind of, you know, asking around, like, what did they think of that? Was it like, geez, like, what, what did they think? You know, like, did they love Jesus more because there was a fake Jesus dude up there? And, and, and so... I was just kind of asking around, like, what did you guys think of that last night, you know? And uh, they're like, well, I don't know. He just woke us up in the middle of the night, and uh, it wasn't really Jesus. And by the way, where were you at? Um, (laughs) And 
And I said, well, how'd you guys know it wasn't Jesus? And they said, when, when, when they shot the, the bright light, we could see he was wearing a robe, but like underneath the robe, we could see he was wearing like soccer shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> we figured it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> so here's the thing. They were able to spot out really quickly that it wasn't Jesus. Even though I was quoting some scriptures and I had the robe on, it wasn't Jesus. And, and my hope for you is that you can spot out really quickly when there's things that are being taught and preached that aren't Jesus. See, the book of Ephesians says that the, the truth is in Jesus. Okay, and so and as we look at this, uh, we have to be discerning about the scriptures and what people say about the scriptures. Charles Spurgeon said this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. See, and today, some of you have felt the ripple effects of counterfeit gospels and you didn't even realize it. You didn't realize how dangerous it was. See, it's the reason why some of you have, have left the church in the past or have friends who have a bad taste in their mouths when they're, they hear the term Christian. In 2007, Dave Kinnaman released a book entitled Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. And they polled unchurched Americans to see what they thought of Christians, and this is what the responses were. 87% judgmental, 85% hypocritical, 72% out of touch with reality, 78% old-fashioned, 70% insensitive to others, 68% boring. Boring! <laughs> Come on, you, you can't be a Christian and be boring. When we read the scriptures and we look at these statistics, we would have to say that this just doesn't match up with a true Christian, Right? Like, there has to be a, a transformation that God does in our lives. Yet people on the outside look at Christians and say, this is what a Christian is. And so, if you're a non-Christian today or, or wrestling with, Am I, do I believe this? Let me say this, from prosperity gospel preachers to moralistic Bible thumpers, I can see why there is a perception of Christians that's not positive. I can see. But what if the gospel that was being proclaimed that produced these types of thoughts and statistics wasn't the true gospel? What if it was counterfeit gospels? Pastor Tim Chaddock says this. He says, what if the greatest threat to the Christian or to the movement of the Christian gospel did not come from the outside, but from the inside? you ever thought about that? See, how do you know if it's the true gospel? Well, it's simply this. Is God the hero? Is it about God? See, the simple gospel message, the way that J.I. Packer uh, wraps up is this. God saves sinners. And he does that through the perfect work of Jesus. See, it's not about how good we are. It's about how good God is. And so a question to help weigh healthy doctrine is this. Is this teaching God-centered or man-centered? Is this more about God or is this more about man? 
And so here's some things to look for. A man-centered gospel thinks that it's about our needs and our desires and that they're not being met. And so God needs to meet those fundamental problems that we have. But the, the true gospel, the message of Christ tells us this, that our real problem is deep within and it's a sin problem. It's, it's, it's a sin problem against God. And our problem is that we are going to face his wrath unless he solves that problem. It, it's the most fundamental problem imaginable, our personal sin. And so a man-centered gospel will minimize that and say, you can figure it out with these steps to be a better person. See, but the true gospel says that no, you and I are so sinful that we could have never, ever figured that problem out. That's why God had to come and save us. See, the true gospel puts God at the center of the message. And the center of our lives and the center of the entire universe, because that's the truth. The world doesn't revolve around us. It's all about him. We live and die in a God-centered universe. A.W. Tozer <clears throat> said this in The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. We, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. See, what do we think of God? When we look at God, who is God? And so our text today is Titus 1, 10 through 2, 1. And just to give some background, we've been talking about this from the start. The book of Titus is written um, to Titus who preached the gospel with the apostle Paul on the island of Crete. Now, Crete is a 146 mile long island um, People on this island, as they were preaching the gospel, responded, a new church was formed. And uh, what started to happen as Paul left is that the true gospel was starting to be mixed with legalism and paganism. And essentially was being poisoned. The message was being poisoned. Uh, and so there are many belief systems on that, that small little island. A lot of them were this, that the Cretans thought that they could be like God. They could be their own gods. And so these things were starting to be mixed into the beliefs that uh, th this church were, were, were starting to believe. And so we, we look at that and we say, well, why they believe that? But we have to look at ourselves and we have to say that Southern California, we still s have the same challenges. This isn't new, right? Like th there, there are things that are getting mixed in with the true gospel all the time. In an article entitled Making Sense of Religion in Southern California, USC researcher Richard Flory says, likely due to its independent nature, California has much less of a religious establishment than any other state in the West and than all other regions in the US. 
And this is what he says. He says, this may be one reason why there is so much religious experimentation here. And so we can take parts of the Bible. We can say, okay, here's what it is. And cults are formed, right? And so, so things happen and it just gets way off base, way off track really quickly. It's a reality today. And so two questions that we need to ask ourselves are this, like, what gospel do I believe? And what counterfeits am I most prone to believe? So first, let's ask, what do counterfeit gospels look like according to what uh, the Apostle Paul talks to Titus about? And so here's what they are. I'm gonna give you all three up front um, as we break them down. The first one is this, they are mixed with the gospel plus try harder. The second is the gospel plus popular opinion the third is the gospel minus heart transformation. The gospel plus try harder, the gospel plus popular opinion, and the gospel minus heart transformation. And so uh, let's look at the first one, the gospel plus try harder. So verse 10, we see this. He says, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless. So he starts out with this, for there are many so when we look back, he says, you look at the, the landscape of Crete, there are many people that are teaching things that are not the truth of the gospel. And this many still happens today. And so what's the signs that Paul points out? He says, there's meaningless talk, there's deception. And, uh, and so what did this meaningless talk and deception lead to? What it led to is taking people away from Jesus. Taking people away from trusting Jesus and motivating them to try harder. You can do this, your strength, your willpower, like Jesus is there, he's cool, but it's gonna be on you. And for some of us, we say, well, that, that kind of resonates with me because I'm kind of a person who wants to pull myself up by my bootstraps. But I want you to know that that is not the gospel. See, the gospel is this, that we are so desperately in need of Christ that we can't save ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And so what in particular it's talking about here is Paul points out the circumcision group. Like, that does not sound like a fun group to be a part of. And, and, you know, you look at that and you say, man, okay, what is this all about? Well, you can also find them in Galatians 2, 12. And, um, and here's what commentator Tim Chester writes. And so this is something particular to their time. But he says, these people said, you become a Christian by faith in Christ. But to stay a Christian, you need to be circumcised. They wanted to make Gentile Christians subject to the Jewish law, or some kind of human code of conduct. What it was, was a spiritual form of manipulation. And so it's trying to control people and say, if you wanna be a part of our group, you wanna be a part of our party right here, it's not Jesus that brings you in, but it's Jesus plus you gotta do all these other things. That's the only way you can be a part of our group. Be a true Christian, real Christian, real spiritual person. but that's not the gospel. See, the main lie was this. Jesus isn't good enough for you. So you need to do more 
and try harder. What are you gonna do to prove yourself to God? See, it totally defeats the purpose of Jesus working his way down to us, living the perfect life, dying for our sins. I say, oh, I gotta add to Jesus. But when you add to Jesus, you start to subtract from Jesus. You see, it's something that we do in our minds and our hearts all the time. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones um, often would, would talk with people and, and give this diagnostic question uh, to help people. He says, um, he says, are you now ready to say that you are a Christian? And he recounts that over the years, whenever he would ask this question, people would often hesitate and say, well, I, I do not feel that I am good enough. I don't feel that I'm good enough. And to that, he gives this response. He says, at once I know that, they're still thinking in terms of themselves. Their idea still is that they have to make themselves good enough to be a Christian. It sounds very modest, but it is the lie of the devil. It is denial of the faith. You will never be good enough. Nobody has ever been good enough. The essence of the Christian salvation is to say that he is good enough and that I am in him. That's the gospel. See, the message of Christianity is not Jesus plus try harder. It's this, Jesus plus nothing. It's that simple. See, the gospel has two parts. Timothy Keller famously coined this. He says it starts with the bad news. The bad news is we are more sinful than we ever dared believe. That's the hard part to take in. But then the best news ever is this, that Jesus loved us more than we could have ever dared hope, so much so that he would die for us. For me, for you. See, do you have that thing that's going back and forth in your mind saying, I'm just not good enough. I can't do this. I can't really be a Christian. That's not from God. It's all in Christ. You are accepted in Christ, not by what you do, but simply by what he has done. That's why Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished, is something that needs to be written on our hearts. It's finished. The second part is, or second point is, the, the gospel plus popular opinion. Um, look at verses 13 and 14. It says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in faith. I want to stop there for just a second because uh, it sounds harsh, right? Like rebuke them sharply. So what are you talking about? You got to correct somebody? I'm not really good with confrontation. You know what I mean? Like that type of thing going on. But, but he's saying, no, here's the reason. Like I, I, I really want you to get this. Like the heart of the, the confrontation that he's talking about is so that they will be sound in faith so that they will be better, so that they will, will know Jesus like for real. That's why the correction comes. That's why he says, I, I need to give this correction to you. It's because I want you to find your faith in Jesus. He says, and we'll pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Now in verses 13 and 14, 
Paul addresses how popular opinion can distort the truth. Popular opinion, what's out there in the world. And so there are different ideas that are coming at you all the time. And so my question is, where, where do you go for the truth? Uh, recently, me and my wife were talking, we're sitting on the couch and uh, from behind us, we can hear it. My son grabs uh, my wife's phone and says, hey Siri, um, what's 68 plus 24? Apparently he was doing his homework and got his answer. And so me and my wife look at each other and we're like, what? This is weird. You know, like now he's going to Siri for answers about life and, and things that he needs to take care of, his homework. Here's the thing. During that time, people in this culture were running to Jewish myths and human commands. They were running to what was popular during their day rather than to the truth rather than to Jesus, rather than to the source. Today, we're in the same danger of doing the same things. Uh, we can run to social media, our friends, or, or our favorite news source, or rather than the truth of God. Like today, we, we have the truth of God. Like, and you say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't There's some parts in here that are really hard for me, and I wrestle with them. Then wrestle with them. Right? It invites us to wrestle with that. But if God is who he says he is, and he it says that the truth is in Jesus, then we need to go to Jesus and find the truth. See, what can happen to us in life if we don't watch out is we can become more about causes and cause-centered than Christ-centered. It's a danger. Causes are good. There's good causes that are out there. But if Christ isn't at the center of it, then we miss the point. We get led astray, right? We get caught up into things that weren't the gospel, that weren't God's word. More cost-centered than Christ-centered. See, we can fall into this idea of other people's opinions rather than the opinion of God. And so we must ask ourselves, well, if that's the case, well, what does God think? And search it out. Galatians 1.10 says this, the Apostle Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There will be things that will rub against the culture as a Christian. And you're gonna have to say, okay, am I a servant to the world or am I a servant to Christ? And wrestle with that. And I think that's a big reason why people look at the church or Christianity and say, okay, they're hypocritical. See, this thing needs to be straightened out. And so when it comes to the truth, we look to Christ. The third is the gospel minus heart transformation. Uh, we can find this in verse 16. Here's what he says about these uh, false teachers. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So as Paul looks at them, he says, interesting. Like we think about like sociologists today and we look at like studies of people. Well, Paul looked at... Uh, the prophet from Crete 
and said, okay, this guy's got a sociologist take on Cretans. And so here's what he says. Verse 12, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So that's what one of your own prophets says about you guys. This 146 mile island, that's the take on you guys. That's what you're like. And then he says, this testimony is true. It's not only that this is what your own guy says because he's lived here and he's Cretan, but he also says, you know, I'm an outsider from an outsider perspective and it, yeah, it is true. Just coming in, love you, bro. But I want to tell you the truth. And so the apostle Paul is concerned about the lives who profess Christ because as he's looking at these people who are teaching, he says, okay, you're teaching, but your life isn't matching up with that. Right? There's, a, there's, a, there's a big problem with that. If, if you're teaching something and you're not matching up to it, and so what that tells Paul and what that should tell us today is this, that there was no heart transformation in the process. There was no real change. Because when Jesus grabs a hold of your heart, you're a different person. You're a transformed person. You're not the same person anymore. It's not like dressing up uh, the world and saying, okay, now I'm like Jesus and you look just like everybody else. There is a true transformation that happens and the world recognizes. Um, in 2017, August 2017, GQ came out with this article entitled Hype Priests, the grail wearing pastors who dress like Justin Bieber. And, um, and so this is the world, right? They're looking at these guys, they call them hype priests. He says, um, and this is Sam Schaub writes, Justin Bieber and his favorite pastors have all started wearing the same mega hyped clothes. What happens when a church becomes a streetwear brand? And here's what's happening. He says, this is GQ. They're looking from the outside. They say, these pastors are dressing like Justin Bieber, which Justin Bieber doesn't have a, a uh, cheap wardrobe, right? So they're like, how do these guys, they, they, have, they have the same outfit on as Justin Bieber. Either they got hookups or something's happening. But they started looking, they said, they're using their Instagram accounts to take pictures with Justin so that he would wear a street brand that they're coming out with. They're coming out with a new line of, of, of clothes. And if they could get Justin Bieber to wear it, then you know that they're gonna get other people to wear it. And so this is GQ looking at this and saying, there is something wrong here. There's a kid who genuinely stopped his tour during the summer to search in, in his faith and, and say, I want to get closer to God. But then there are adult men who are way older than him that are taking selfies with him to promote a brand that they're coming out with in the spring. And Sam Schaub looks at this and says, there's a problem with that. And he ends with this. He says, even if it weren't Justin Bieber, he deserved the guidance, spiritual or otherwise, he's seeking. We all deserve that. All I mean to say is this. It is rather remarkable that the men Justin Bieber has entrusted to deliver the guidance have decided to dress like Justin Bieber. You're coming to somebody with, 
looking for spiritual guidance, right? And there's gonna be some correction along the way. And you need somebody who's gonna help guide you to Jesus. Jesus. That's why the apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 4, 6, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. He's very concerned about the way that Cretans naturally were. And he says, if your life is matching up just like that, he said, there's a problem. You should be different. Francis Schaeffer, in The Mark of a Christian, says that the final apologetic for whether people believe the gospel is a Christian community, people who are authentic and real. Right, because at this point, these Cretans weren't even willing to confess their own sins, so Paul had to come in and say, hey, this is what you're doing, and it's wrong. It's wrong. See, that's, that's a heart that's not sensitive to the Spirit of God and saying, God, help me. I need to be different. I need to change. Or being willing to, he said they're being prideful in the way that they're approaching life. They're not willing to come and, and repent and say, man, God, help me. Right? And so there has to be a difference. There has to be some type of heart transformation. There has to be real transformation in a believer when the gospel comes in. And so just some takeaway questions as we end. Am I believing the true gospel? Am I believing the true gospel? Is it God-centered, Christ-centered? Is it about him or is it just another way to make my dreams come true? Right, because it's out there. I mean, I was listening this past week. It just kind of came up on my feet and it's just like, it's all about your dreams, your purposes, your vision. Like, no, it's about God's. And so am I believing the true gospel? What popular opinions am I prone to believe? And in what ways is God authentically transforming me? Here's the thing, when you and I surrender our life to Christ, say, Jesus, it's yours. All I've got is you. Because if I stand before God someday, you know, I will, but if I stand before God someday and say, okay, God, look at my works, look at what I've done, look at my abilities, I won't get in. I won't get in. It's one of the scariest passages in scripture, Matthew chapter seven. He said, there's gonna be people who come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And then they said some pretty prominent things. They were like, whoa, it kind of looks like they were Christians. And then he says, depart from me for I never knew you. See, there are people that are doing things in Jesus' name, but he says, I want to know you personally. It's about a relationship with you. And so... It's God transforming us, making us different to end. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the voyage of the Don Treader, there's this little boy named Eustace. He's, he's miserable to be around, complaining all the time. Uh, it's just, it, it annoyed his cousin. They were, just, they were just fed up with Eustace. And then Eustace goes into Narnia, stumbles upon some treasures. And it, the treasures 
turn him into a dragon. Said he wandered off alone and is changed into a dragon through greedy, dragonish thoughts. And so what he does is he's trying to rip off the scales, rip off the skin. And he's saying, how do I get back to being a boy? I don't want to be a dragon. I'm not a dragon. And Aslan comes to him and says, you will have to let me undress you. Now, Aslan is the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. He's a lion. And so eventually Eustace, this dragon, allows Aslan to come in and do surgery. And here's what it says. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times. Only they hadn't hurt. And here it was lying on the grass. Only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I as smooth and soft as I peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath now that I'd no skin on and threw me into the water. After that, I became perfectly delicious and, and as, I, don't you love C.S. Lewis? Perfectly delicious, yes. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm and then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. Do you know what's going to tear off the beastly stuff in all of us? It's not a counterfeit gospel. It's gonna be the true gospel where Jesus comes in and says, the only way it's gonna happen, the only change that's gonna be made in your life that's true change is gonna be through his hand. And he's gonna to have to tear away some of the things that are inside of us that we don't like and it doesn't feel good. But by the grace of God, we become human. We become human. We become real, authentic, just like the truth of the gospel. Real, authentic. What gospel are you believing today? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to put our trust and our faith in you alone. It is not about us. And I pray that we will um, remember that. Remember that uh, this is about you, Lord Jesus, and that God, you saved us. That you change us. That we're never the same when we meet the true Jesus face to face. Thank you, God, that you took a sinner like me 
and continue to work on me from the inside out to make me more human, to make me more loving. And you want to do that with all of us here through your spirit's power, through your spirit's strength, that we don't make excuses any longer, but trust in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.